Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. We've been in a series about the life of Joseph, and this weekend we're going to conclude the series, and I hope you have been able to glean something from this overview of his life that might help you, inspire you uh, in your life and in your business. There's so many principles, there's so many incredible things about the life of Joseph that uh, truly are uh, so remarkable. Uh, I think as we were looking at his life, we talked a little bit about how he pursued his purpose. It all started with his dream, 17-year-old young man, and he had this dream in his heart, this desire to achieve, and so he started pursuing that purpose. And then we saw right off the bat, the moment that he started pursuing his dream, all kinds of things began to happen. And we talked a little bit about that principle that oftentimes in our life, that times of blessing are always followed by times of testing that the moment you dial it in and the moment you start pursuing your passion, all of a sudden, man, all hell can break loose in your, in your life. I had a guy tell me, he said, Bill, I don't think we faced as much problems in our marriage or in our family as we did once we got our family in church. And once we got in church, he said, man, it just seems like the wheels are trying to come off of our life. And when you really think about that, it does make sense because before you passionately pursued God's purpose for your life, before you did that, you weren't any threat to the devil. You were no threat to what God was going to do in your life. But the moment you dial it in, and the moment you said, this is what I'm gonna do, I want my life to make a difference, I want my family's life to make a difference, then the, 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 uh, I mean, the devil uh, trains all of his arrows right on you. He's gonna try to take you off the board. He's gonna try to take you out. And, uh, and so, in fact, let, while I'm chasing that rabbit, let me, let me talk about this. The devil has basically two primary strategies against all of us. Number one, strategy number one, is to try to keep you away from God. Uh, if he can do that, that's, that's, uh, that's his mission number one. Keep you from ever coming to a place in life where you trust the Lord to be your personal savior, where you do as these folks did this morning. You demonstrated your faith by going public and letting people know you're not ashamed of Christ. So the devil, first of all, tries to keep you away from God. And if that doesn't work, strategy number two is he'll try to keep you from making a difference for God. Does that make sense? In other words, you may know God, but he just, don't want, he just doesn't want your life to matter or for your life to count. He doesn't want you to discover purpose, fulfillment, or destiny. So that's the strategy. So you see that at work in the life of young uh, Joseph. In fact, we saw right off the bat, man, it was the people closest to him that initially hurt him the most. And can I just chase that rabbit a little further and tell you that oftentimes the devil will use good people to do bad things. Sometimes it isn't the bad people that come into your life, it may be a good person that begins to do a bad thing. And it's the people oftentimes who hurt us. The deepest are the people that we love the most. 
people that you allow inside your circle, people that you trust. I, I've talked about those people as being people uh, that your dog won't even growl at when they uh, come through your door. Your cat will actually get up in their lap when they come through the door for you cat people. Uh, so it, it's that kind of person that oftentimes can hurt you the most and can hurt you the deepest. And so I'm just saying it's not amazing or it's not really enlightening much to see this happening in the life of young Joseph, because we see that as a pattern in our own lives as well. And then what you see as well, and Mary touched this last week, is God would promote him in the midst of this adversity. He would go down and then he would have this great moment. And then he would be, you know, he had had this rough time and then he'd have a great time. And so God was kind of balancing his life with all the problems and the, and, and the difficulty that he faced with some wonderful experiences as well. In other words, I, I guess if I could summarize that phase of his life, I would say it wasn't all bad and it wasn't all good. In fact, it was the best of times and the worst of times at the same time, <laughs> have you gone through that season? Some of you might be in that season now where you could say, man, I can count my blessings on one hand, I can see the wonderful things that I have in my life, but on the other hand, I still have a lot of burdens that I'm carrying this morning, that I'm fighting my own demons this morning. And I'm telling you guys, I think that's all of us. On one hand, we have so much for which to be thankful, and on the other hand, we're fighting some battles and some things that are trying to pull us down. I think that's life. That's certainly one of the principles we learn from Joseph's life. And this morning, I wanna kind of summarize the series by talking about the thing that I think was the most essential thing that allowed this young man to be used in such a, an incredible way. When you think about his life, he had this amazing dream that he would be promoted to this position of power, though he really didn't understand it at the moment, but he had that dream when he was 17. And this morning, we're going to see the dream came to fruition when he was 30. Uh, there, there, listen, there's no such thing as an overnight success. When you see someone who is enjoying a, a modicum of success or a large degree of success, whether it's in their marriage, uh, whether it's with their children, whether it's in their career, believe me, if you knew their story, there's a lot of struggle in the story. There's a lot of difficulty they went through. You, you may be seeing them at a season right now where they're enjoying some success, but believe me, everybody has paid a price to get to the place where they are. Uh, people sometimes may become envious of you at where, uh, where you are in this season of life. I would challenge you to say to someone who might be envious of you, look, when you can do what I do, you can have what I have. <laughs> when you've gone through what I've gone through, then you can get to where I am. You see, there's always a price that is paid, and young Joseph went through 13 years of things that probably would have stopped the average person. And again, the value that I wanna really impress upon your hearts this morning is I think the most essential thing about this young man's life, it, is, it was his perseverance. His perseverance, he persisted. He just didn't quit. <laughs> he, he didn't quit, he didn't look for the exit ramp. You ever feel like in life you're just tooling down the highway with so much opposition and you just try to find the exit ramp? Let me challenge you, quit looking for the exit ramp. Look for the rest area, <laughs> but don't look for the exit ramp. You may need to pull off the road and rest a little bit. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. Don't make a big decision about a momentary problem. In other words, think through it, pray over it, rest up on it, 
and pull off to the side of the road and think about what you're thinking about a little bit. Because oftentimes our minds get tired, we get worn out, and sometimes when you get worn out, it is real easy to get wrought up. And so think through the thing that you're going through, give yourself some time and rest. I've told you one of those verses in the Bible where Jesus said to his apostles, come apart to yourselves in a quiet place and rest a while. The late great Vance Havner read that scripture and said, if you don't come apart and rest a while, eventually you will come apart. And I hear people from time to time say, well, I understand that, Bill, but I'd rather, man, I'd rather wear out than rust out. Have you ever heard that one? I'd rather wear out than rust out. Maybe we've said that sometime. But can you, can you think about it this way? Either way you go, you're out. Out's out. You can wear yourself out or you can just simply, you know, uh, uh, you can just burn yourself. You can do either, either extreme, uh, but either way you go, you're out. Remember I said the strategy of the devil, keep you away from God, keep your life from mattering for God. And so if he can take you off the board, if he can keep your life from making a difference, that's all he wants. I was talking to a guy this last week and he was talking about some of the people in a circle in business who, who seek him out oftentimes and seek counsel from him because they know he's a person uh, who has faith. And he was talking about the struggles and he said, man, I just, it's crazy. He said, sometimes I, I wonder if I ought to just resign and go into the ministry. I said, no, you're in the ministry. If you resign, you're gonna lose the influence with that group of people that I'll never influence. You have a ministry. Every person in this room, if you are a Christ follower, you have a ministry, you are a minister, and you will have influence with people I'll never meet. Remember we talk about your life, maybe the only Bible somebody ever reads? The only picture of Jesus somebody may ever see is what they see in you? And so I, I would tell you, don't resign and go into the ministry. Instead, understand you're in the ministry now. And from time to time, you may need to rest. And time to time, you need to take the sabbatical. Time to time, you need to take some days off. Maybe take that vacation that you've been putting off because you need to rest so that you're ready to re-engage. And this thing of perseverance, <laughs> this thing of persistence, in my estimation, was the key to Joseph's life. It was the secret to his success. And I can tell you that's true of a relationship, that's true of a business partnership, that's true of a church fellowship. You just have to get your mind in a direction to say, I'm not gonna quit. Uh, Joshua said concerning himself, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. In other words, you can't control a lot of things outside your circle, so just control your circle. Uh, just control what you can control, own what you can own. And you just say, by the grace of God, here's one thing that I won't do, I just won't quit. <laughs> I may rest, I may take a sabbatical, I may go off the road for a little while and sleep <laughs> and, and, and refuel, but I am not going to quit. I'm gonna re-engage and I'm gonna get involved in the, in the situation I believe God has called me to do. I just simply won't give up. The secret, listen, you've heard this said before, but the secret to life is not how you begin, but it's how you finish, right? Everybody may have a rough beginning. You may have had a difficult start. You, you may not be in the dream that you initially dreamed for yourself. When you're a little boy, maybe you're gonna be an astronaut. You're sitting out there, you're obviously not an astronaut. Maybe when you were a little boy again, you were gonna be a professional football player. 
Well, that's a very elite group and not many make it to that level. So my point is, what do you, what do you, will you dream a new dream? All of a sudden you realize that some of the dreams I had in my adolescence and some of the dreams that I had when I was young weren't practical because we talked about how the dream has to fit design. But you've modified your life and you've adjusted your life and you've realized that plan A may not work, but plan B. And, and then if plan B doesn't work, you know what? There's a plan C. That doesn't work, there's a D. And we can just keep going. And I say keep going because you and I are immortal until God is finished with us. So the fact that you're sitting here this morning is proof positive that God has a purpose for your life. So it may be dream a new dream. It may say, I, I need to get in touch with something that I wanna get passionate about again. So God help me to discover a new passion. And Joseph, man, he didn't know how his life was going to unfold. At 17 years old, he didn't even know how to discern that dream. He just knew at some point, I think I'm destined to achieve something truly great. And it took him 13 years of his life going through so much trouble and so much heartache and so many betrayals to finally get to the point where he achieved that purpose. And he finally saw his dream come to fruition. So let me go back to my point of what I wanna to talk to you about this morning, perseverance. He just didn't quit. In fact, look with me in Genesis 41, and this is just a, 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 a pivotal point in his life where he's about now to be promoted. Uh, he's about to see the fruition of his dream. Let me give you the context of what I'm about to read. Remember, Pharaoh was having these dreams that he didn't know how to discern what they were about. And one of the, the butlers that had worked on Pharaoh's staff that had met Joseph when they were in prison together uh, remembered that Joseph had interpreted a dream for him on one occasion, and he hit it right out of the park. So he said, what do we got to lose? The most learned people in all of Pharaoh's kingdom have no clue. They don't know how to interpret the dream. So he tells Pharaoh about Joseph. And so Joseph comes in and he interprets the dream. In essence, he's saying, Here's the dream. You're going to have seven good years and you're gonna have seven bad years. So in the seven good years, you need to be saving for the seven bad years. That's the essence of the interpretation, which by the way is a pretty good principle, wouldn't you agree? Um, I mean, you need to be saving when the money's good, you need to be saving when things are good because things may not always be good, right? And so he was teaching this principle. And so when you read the Genesis 41 here, I'll read this to you in verse 37, you see how Pharaoh received that interpretation. It says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. It made sense. You know, a lot of times we try to make the Bible out to be something that makes no sense. God's word is very practical. It, it, it really is. It doesn't have to all be esoterical and you know weird and I can't, it's like the guy said, that pastor was a brilliant speaker. I didn't understand a word he said. <laughs> well, just because the water's uh, muddy doesn't mean it's deep. <laughs> just because you didn't understand him doesn't mean he was saying anything. Jesus was the most practical preacher. In fact, somebody examined and, and, and actually studied uh, the teachings of Jesus and determined that he taught on about a seventh grade level. That's pretty good. What, what that says to me is he puts the cookies on the lower shelf where we can reach them. <laughs> I mean, he, he really did. And so this seemed, this plan, this plan, the Bible said it, it made sense. That makes sense. You have seven good years, you save for possibly the seven bad years. 
So we can't always count on the income being what it is today. We can't always count on business being as good as it is right now. It may take a downturn. So I need to put something back, right? So this was smart, smart. So Pharaoh asked them, he said, can we find anyone like this man in whom is the Spirit of God? Now let me tell you about the significance of that statement. This is the first time in scripture up until this point where anyone had acknowledged the Spirit of God much less the Spirit of God being on someone. Now at this moment, in the Old Testament economy, the Spirit of God would come upon someone, but it would, the Spirit of God didn't go within someone. Meaning that, until the work of the cross was completed, until Jesus had gone to the cross and shed his blood and made uh, provision for our sin and appeased the justice of God, until that moment had happened, the Spirit of God would not indwell people. Uh, that didn't happen until Acts 2. And the dynamic of Acts 2 is Jesus went up and the Spirit came down. And then you have the dynamics of Acts. Acts is a transitional book. It is the transitioning of the Holy Spirit into the lives of people. But up until this time, because Jesus had not yet come, the Spirit of God would have come upon someone, empower them for a certain purpose, and then would remove himself from them because the work of the cross was not yet complete. Remember the story of Samson, the strong man of the Bible. When Samson, the secret of his strength was in the length of his hair, and God says, just don't cut your hair. And so uh, Delilah finds the secret of his strength, cuts his hair, remember the story. He goes out to fight the Philistines, and then you see this, this little expression that he did not discern that the Spirit of God was no longer on him. So the Spirit of God had come upon Samson, empowered him, and now removed himself from him. Doesn't mean Samson's not in heaven. It doesn't mean Samson was not a Christ follower. It meant the work of the Holy Spirit did not happen in terms of indwelling people until the other side of the cross. So I just wanted to clarify that so you understand what's happening here. Is the Spirit of God had come upon Joseph in such a way that Pharaoh saw a difference. And can I tell you, on the other side of the cross, and now in a different economy where the Spirit of God now indwells Christ followers, and you and I have the indwelling presence of God's Spirit, did you know that same quality can be discerned by people who don't know God? A person who does not know God, just like Pharaoh, can discern the work of God in a person, just like a person that doesn't, may not know Jesus in your life, can discern God's work in your life. Remember the only Bible? You might be the only glimpse of Jesus, remember that? So the point I'm making is, Pharaoh saw something different in Joseph. He saw the Spirit of God. And then keep reading. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Notice what he says. You're gonna be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. He elevates Joseph, 30 years old, by the way, don't miss that. He elevates him to the prime minister of all of Egypt. Only Pharaoh had more authority than Joseph. And if you read on in that chapter, the next chapter says he gave him his own chariot. He got a company car. <laughs> he, had a, he had an entourage that followed him. People would say, make way, make way, get out of the way. Man, wow. Boy, that, that's, have you ever had that happen? I hadn't had that happen. You ever go out to your car, make way, make way, clear the way, Bill's leaving. You know, now you could maybe get on the curb for another reason, but, 
but it's not out of, of, of reverence or, or respect. But the point is, he, he elevates this 30-year-old kid, man. And then you read a little farther, he marries one of the most beautiful women in all the land. She happened to be the daughter of the priest. And so Joseph's, man, his life, it's just, he's going like a rocket ship. And all of it goes back to him interpreting the dream of Pharaoh and Pharaoh seeing the work of God on this young man's life and affirming him and promoting him. And I thought about it as I read that and I thought about what I wanted to share with you guys this morning. At any point along the way, he could have quit. In my estimation, if Joseph would have quit at any point along the way, his name would have just dropped from scripture. But instead, we know more about Joseph and we read more about him in the Old Testament than Abraham. He's pretty famous. <laughs> than Moses, that's pretty famous. Uh, Noah, Adam. I mean, you read more about this 30-year-old kid who had a dream at 17 than you read about anyone else. So can I tell you, if you're in that season of life between 17 and 30 and it gets hard, don't quit. Don't give up, don't give in, don't give out. You stay the course. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Don't allow the enemy to try to derail you or discourage you. You stay focused. And if you're north of 30, like some of us, God still has a plan for our life. I read a statement, of, I think it was Bob Schieffer who said on one occasion, he said, I feel like I've accomplished more since I, got, since I was 60 than I did when I was 30. Well, I don't know about you, but that gives a brother some hope. <laughs> I, I can hold on to that one. So the point I'm making is, you know, we, again, God has a purpose for us. And the minute that ends, we end, and he calls us home. But until then, dream the new dream. And whatever you do, don't quit. Just stay with it. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. Let me give you three things. Number one, he didn't quit, even though he faced some problems. You consider the problems that he faced. And it started, don't miss this, it started in his home life. If you look at up a, a biblical definition of dysfunctional family, Joseph's family will show up. That ought to give a lot of folks some, some uh, encouragement this morning. His dad was a polygamist. And not only was he polygamist, he had some girls on the side, concubines, and I know sometimes people will read that and go, oh, well, that, the Bible, some of the greatest people in the Bible had a bunch of women and a bunch of wives. I mean, Solomon, think about this. Solomon had 700 wives. Holy cow. 700 mother-in-laws. Now, if they were like mine, that was great. She's in heaven now, so she's in heaven now. I can say that. 700, and then, now, now I, I'm gonna stop there. He had 300 concubines, 1,000 women. Holy cow. What a man, what a man, what a mighty, mighty man. I, wow. I don't know. Well, here's, here's what happens sometimes. People will read that and go, uh, well, that's the prescription. <laughs> that, that means I, I've got license to do the same thing. Well, Solomon's pretty great. Jacob's pretty great. I mean, these guys, no, it, it's a description of the culture of the day. It's not a, a prescription for our culture today. In fact, if you wanna see how God set it up, go to Genesis 2.24. He said a man leaves his father and mother, joins to his wife, those two become one. Not multiples, but one. So these guys didn't do it correctly, but in spite of them doing it incorrectly, God still blessed them. What's the principle? 
the principle is God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. It's not perfection, it's faithfulness that matters most to God. But I want to explain that because when you realize that, you, you go, well, wow. I mean, think about all this craziness that poor Joseph came out of when he came out of a family that was that messed up. And then as I already recounted, he was betrayed in Genesis 37. You get to Genesis 39, he sold as a slave into Egypt. You get to uh, Genesis 39 again, and Potiphar was one of the officials of Pharaoh. He saw how uh, impressive uh, Joseph was and hires him and puts him over his household. Now, what's interesting about that season of his life is the Bible says concerning Joseph is he was handsome. He was handsome. And Potiphar's wife, she had a little thing for handsome Joe. And she kind of set her sights on this young guy and the Bible says, finally, she finds the opportune time and wants to sleep with this guy, and so it scares him, and he runs, and she grabs his coat and leaves his coat in, in his hand. Well, I can tell you, if you're being tempted to do that, running is probably a position that you cannot do that in. Running, running's a good thing to do sometimes. And so he ran, he just said, I, I'm not, and, so he, and, and then she lies, she goes, he tried to attack me, this Hebrew that you brought into my house, she lies, well, guess where he goes? Back to jail. And so man, you, again, you see this blessing and you see this burden, you see this promotion and you see this demotion, and so he's back, and then again, all of a sudden, he, in Genesis 39, he, you know, meets these butlers and bakers that used to work for, the, for Pharaoh and he befriends them and, and interprets the dream. And they, man, when we get out of here, we're gonna get you out of here, we'll put in a good word. And the Bible says they forgot him, they didn't do it. Until years later in our text where Pharaoh has the dream and he remembers him and now he goes back. And so what's my point? My point is again, when you study his life, it's problem, 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 problem. And that ought to encourage all of us to know that God can work in the middle of our problem. Let me, let me share that before I move off of that. Be careful trying to get your theology from circumstances. Be careful deriving theology from circumstances. In other words, getting into the line of thinking that when things go bad, God must be upset with you. Or when things are going good, God must be pleased with you. Now, both could be true, um, sometimes when things are going good, it is God's favor, and sometimes when things are going bad, it is God's displeasure. But, but here's how you, you'll know. You'll know. In other words, when I'm being blessed in my life, I'll, I'll know, okay, God, you're, this is favor. I did some good, made some good calls, good decisions, and this is a result of a good decision. You know that. Conversely, I know when I do something crazy or stupid and I have a bad consequence, I know that too, so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about moments when you don't know. Moments when it makes no sense. Moments when you're going through something and you go, this, does, this isn't fair, this isn't right, I don't understand. In, in those moments, in those moments, be careful getting your theology from your circumstance. Illustration. You remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist's job was to prepare the way for Jesus. He was to get a congregation together so he could hand them off to Jesus. In fact, he calls himself the forerunner. That's the one that goes ahead of the, of the main vessel with the anchor in the boat and plants the anchor on the shore, it's the forerunner. And then once the anchor's planted, they help guide the ship to shore. He's the for, he was to go before Jesus to prepare the way to get an audience together. And John said of his own ministry, I must 
decrease, he must increase. Okay, here's where I'm going with this. Soon after the people move away from John, they're no longer following him. His numbers are down. He does, he's not as popular. They're going toward Jesus now as it was supposed to be. John then is thrown into jail. The Roman authorities saw him as being vulnerable. They could do this without there being an uprising. They throw John in jail. <laughs> the story's in Matthew 11. And what happens, and this is where I'm going with this, what happened in John 11 is some of Jesus, or some of John's disciples, some of his friends, his former staff, came to check on him. Are you okay, man? Are you all right? We got your back, we're praying for you. This isn't fair, I'm sorry this has happened to you. Are you okay? And here's what John said. John says, go ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? Or do I start looking for another one? Wow. Are you really who you say you are? What was John doing? He was getting his theology from his circumstance. He was saying, he must not be the Messiah. I'm in jail, I didn't deserve this. So I, I've given my life to following him and this is what the thanks he gives me. This is the payment I get for this. What was he doing? Again, he was drawing his theology from his, be careful doing that. Because God can work sometimes most significantly in the biggest problems that you and I will face in life. Let me give you another way to think about it. Some of the most profound work Jesus did on the cross he did in silence, in silence. When darkness fell over the cross and it was silent, it was as dark as though it were midnight at noonday, and in the silence of the cross, Jesus was doing his greatest work. In fact, the Bible says sometimes he's not in the storm or the, or the whirlwind, but instead he's in the still small voice. So be careful when the noise hits your life that you don't draw your theology from your circumstances and think God has forgotten you. Because my next point quickly is the provision he found. You know what he found in the middle of his problems? He found provision. He found that God was providing for him in the middle of his problems. Four times in, from Genesis 39 to Genesis 50, four different times, Concerning Joseph, you'll hear this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. And can I tell you, if you know Jesus this morning, he's with you. I talked about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, he doesn't check out on you when you go through problems. Even if they're self-inflicted, he doesn't check out on you. He's with you. He has sealed you under the day of redemption, meaning that you're as sure for heaven as though you're already there. So God is with you in the midst of everything you're going through. You may not always sense him. You may not always acknowledge him, but he's there. Remember that great promise of Hebrews, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Remember what we talked about? To leave means to remove your physical presence from someone. To forsake means to emotionally disconnect from someone. You can be physically connected to someone you're not emotionally connected to. You can be physically disconnected from someone this morning that you're very emotionally connected to. And Jesus said, when it comes to you, I will never remove my physical presence and I will never emotionally disconnect from you. He found a providence in the midst of his problem. Here's the last thought. He followed God. The providence he followed. He found provision, and then he followed God's providence. Joseph never lost sight of the fact that God was working these things out in his life. Let me give you this as I close. Three things you can be sure of this morning. You can be certain. You can take this to the bank. 
Number one, God is watching. Luke chapter 12, verse 28. Listen, he sees the tiniest sparrow when it falls. And the reason he said that is he wanted you to know. He, he, he sees the little thing. In fact, the Bible says the hairs of your head are numbered, numbered. It didn't say counted. If he had said counted, that means he knows how many there are. He said numbered, which means he knows which one they are. Now, why is that important? It's not that he's got a bunch of accountants in heaven with nothing else to do. What he's simply saying is, I, I care about the most minute detail of your life. I'm watching. You didn't just happen to come to this service today. You didn't just happen to turn on your, your device and watch this service today. God had a plan, he works by a divine design, and one of the things he may be saying to your heart this morning is, I, I, I got you. I know where you are, I know what you're going through. He's watching. The second thing is God is working. When you see him, he's working. When you can't see him, he's working. When you know what he's doing, he's working, and when you don't know what he's doing, he's working. When you feel him, he's working. When you can't feel him, he's still working. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says these things work together for our good because 29 says he's trying to conform us into the image of his son. And the third thing I'd give you as a takeaway is God is waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. John chapter 13, verse 7, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the cross, he said, what I do now you won't understand, but you'll understand later on. The principle of that scripture is simply this, what God's doing in your life right now, you may not understand. A lot I don't understand. But one day, you will understand. One day, it'll make sense. Now, not all of it may make sense this side of heaven. Not all of it may make sense in our lifetime. But one day, it might even be in the presence of God, we'll realize, as his apostles said about him, he does all things well. Never made a mistake. Never left one behind. Never betrayed or forgotten anyone. And he will not forget you. So don't quit. Rest. Refuel, but don't quit. Keep the faith. Keep pressing. Keep working. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Just keep going. Don't quit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word Thank you that from it we find a challenge and encouragement. Sometimes, Lord, we, we find a, a rebuke. We, we even learn things about us that we didn't see before. So, Father, however way that you have spoken into our hearts today, I, I pray we'll have received your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to apply your word. I pray for my friends, maybe some in the room right now or some watching that have never trusted you as their Savior. I pray right now this might be the moment where they humble their heart and they say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. With everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.